Welcome to Health Unabashed, the show that is unapologetically passionate about health and wellness innovation that promotes a sustainable and equitable healthcare delivery and financing system. Hosted by digital health advocate, author, and thought leader, Gil Bash, the show looks at thought-provoking ideas, people, and companies that are making a difference. I'm Greg Masters, executive producer and co-host of the show, and join Gil as we engage top industry talent who share their insights and best practices to create sustainable change. On today's show, our guest is Ann Mon Johnson, the Chief Executive Officer of the American Telemed Association, also known as ATA. Ann joined ATA as CEO in 2018. Her experience includes building, launching, and leading client-driven companies that have been innovators in healthcare technology and data and began her career in healthcare data and information as senior vice president at the Sachs Group, now part of IBM Watson Truven Health. She also worked at a multi-hospital system in Minneapolis, which is now a part of Alina. And with that introduction, Gil, over to you. Greg, once again, thank you for that gracious introduction. And my friend, we've been blessed with a lot of really top-notch guests on this program through the year. And we have an amazing person today who really is not just thinking about the future of health. Anne Mon Johnson, who's the CEO of the American Telemedicine Association, is really a driver, a driver for the processes, the policies, and one of the people who tracks the performance of how telehealth can impact not just a nation, but a world's well-being. Uh, Anne By the way, I had the pleasure of speaking with on the main stage at the forum, which is hosted by Teladoc. She was really one of the first people out on the main stage at a full audience, a lot of standing ovation. And obviously, you have done so much to build this community. You've shepherded through probably one of the most traumatic periods of modern healthcare through the COVID pandemic, when suddenly physicians and patients were cut off from each other. The telephone, the camera became the link that brought people comfort and health. You made sure that that was operating effectively in all 50 states because each state has its own medical policies about how telehealth should be used. You were in the forefront of working with major payers around the United States to make sure that telemedicine, telehealth would be reimbursed at levels that enabled physicians and health professionals to use the platform. You've done so much for this medium. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for making time for us today. And congratulations also on being named one of the global top 30 influencers in the world of wellness. And I see recently one of the top 25 people in the world of digital health. Welcome to Health Unabashed. Thank you so much, Gail. It's great to be with you. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation. A lot has happened since the end of 22. Boy, has it ever. Now, you've been a champion for health information and innovation for quite some time. You're an innovator yourself. You started as an entrepreneur in Chicago. You you took your, your enterprise, you made Chicago into a, a hub of health innovation. You stepped into the role of being CEO of ATA. That organization has grown tremendously under your leadership. Um, You've really also been in the forefront of dealing not just with the 
many different members who are dealing with many different stages of the modality, but you've also been an advocate for them on the Hill. So I really want to ask you a little bit of, if if you could share, well, the last two years have been so dramatic. What, what's happened in the last two years from your perspective in terms of telehealth and technology and the health experience for consumers? What's your take on that? Oh, absolutely. And it's actually a little bit more than two years since we've been uh, really witnessing this change. And I would say that from the perspective of the ATA, before the pandemic, we really started building a very broad and diverse community of member organizations. Those include delivery systems, payers, provider groups, and then a range of uh, technology or solution providers as well. And so it's really been remarkable in terms of what has come together under the tent and has continued to grow and expand since the onset of the pandemic. What we maintain at the ATA is that the community really was incredibly agile and responsive. And given the opportunity to really respond and to do the right thing, they came together and collaborated. And the acceleration, the speed at which this happened was really quite remarkable. And there's a quote, one of our members said, we saved the healthcare system from imploding in the US. And that was certainly, I, I would agree with that 100%. You know, people were home and they were afraid, they didn't know what to do. And really what happened with synchronous, remote monitoring, asynchronous, text, chat, all of that, it really enabled consumers and patients to stay safe at home and yet get the care that they needed. So this whole night idea of omni-channel care and really meeting people where they are was incredibly um, profound and, and really quite on display during the onset of the pandemic. And then even after the worst of it sort of worked its way through, uh, I think that we still continue to play a critical role in how care is delivered and how health is provided. You know, I want to pick up on that a little bit. First of all, I really appreciate you're talking about this omni-channel experience that the consumer needs to have. And it's not just waiting in a waiting room and then uh, going into an examination room and waiting for another 10 minutes. I mean, we all know that experience. We've all experienced that ourselves. But, you know, the I'm, I'm often amazed that people talk about the, the pandemic period at the beginning with telehealth, how it shot up, telehealth saved the system, probably saved a lot of people's lives. And, and then obviously people point to the fact that, well, now we see telehealth declining by, I don't know, 30% fewer engagements on telehealth. And they forget that, well, during the first year and a half of COVID, that's all we really had. We were, we were essentially on home lockdown. And and then things lightened up. Look, you know, if you need to see a gastroenterologist, gastroenterologist, that's a a personal visit. That's a tactile visit. You know, surgery is a tactile visit. Um, checking in, finding out what the staging is, that can be done via telehealth. So I wanted to ask you your your thoughts because I believe that telehealth is really just at its beginning, even though it's it's now accepted. I I think that. We, we need to look at telehealth as a platform, as a pathway, as a pathway to a relationship with health professionals, not just about urgent care, 
um, not just about the eye, the blood vessel and, and the eye that explodes and, oh my goodness, what's going on and being reassured by a doctor who asks for the pictures and reassures us via telehealth. I, I often wonder if payers realize that sick care doesn't work for them. In other words, dealing with people once they're ill from diseases or illnesses we could have prevented earlier isn't really working for the payer system. I, I often wonder, will telehealth start to deploy around models that say, wait a minute, you have people who have high blood pressure or type 2 diabetes, all of these non-communicable conditions, we could better manage by more frequent check-ins with a health provider via telehealth. I want to get your read on that because I think the medium is so powerful. Are we using it to its fullest extent? Well, I think you're absolutely correct that the medium is powerful and we really view telehealth as modality of care. And so from a policy and advocacy perspective, we wanna make sure that telehealth is not treated as a second class citizen, if you will, and or a sideshow. And so it's really a modality of care. And again, going back to that idea of meeting people where they are, where they want to be met along their healthcare journey is really what allows us to deliver on this promise. I will say also, though, and I think we've touched on this before, Gil, that before the pandemic, we had some real profound problems in the healthcare system in the US anyway, and around the world, in fact. So there's an aging population. We had a, a shortage of clinicians that to take care of this aging population and increasingly sick population. We had a poor distribution of services, and we had a uneven distribution of evidence-based high quality medicine. In other words, what happened, what was proven in city A may or may not get distributed to other parts of the country for quite some time. And this was proven time and again with the Dartmouth Atlas and other studies. And so before the pandemic, it was pretty clear that we could not solve these issues without technology. And in fact, you have to use telehealth to reimagine how healthcare is delivered. So just as in banking, when we used e-banking and now we just call it mobile banking or banking, we didn't go that route with the idea that we would have a conversation with a teller on our phone. That wasn't the idea at all. It was really to self-serve, to allow you to do a lot of things that you could do uh, using technology. And so the same thing has happened with telehealth. In other words, the idea that you can use the technology, the modality to get certain things done, not because you're going to do exactly what you did face to face, but you're going to create a different experience that quite frankly is going to be even better for the consumer and often for the patient, uh, physician as well. And so when you talk about things like people with diabetes, I mean, there's some really fantastic companies out there that are doing quite a bit in a virtual basis and really incorporating coaching, monitoring. These are the things that allow people to not only stay healthier, but also use them to engage them in the maintenance of their health. So you know, it's it's really true that when people are more engaged, and we know this with telehealth, you know this as a patient, when you're more engaged, you're going to be more likely to do the right thing. So 
And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio. Our guest is Ann Mon Johnson, the Chief Executive Officer of the American Telemedicine Association. Yeah, I don't. I don't think um, you know. If I look at twenty percent of GDP, almost twenty percent of GDP in this country being directed toward health, various elements of health, it's about twice the amount of other nations. Um, what I'll call the developed nations of the world. We're not talking about emerging nations. It's twice the amount. Our life expectancy is declining. This is the first time we believe that uh, one generation won't live as long as the previous generation. You know, obviously we've got to get cost-effective without diminishing quality of care. And you said something when we met months ago, you talked about hybrid, the hybrid experience. And, you know, I'm thinking of a number of, things you've just said in our our brief conversation right now you talked about the omnichannel experience that we we access technology in different ways for different purposes we order stuff online that we once traveled to the supermarket for we we order pizzas with an app we 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 scan checks and make deposits into our bank account and we have different needs at different moments um and we use technology to complement what task we need to perform. And yet healthcare has been at times resistant, resistant to these shifts. And yet when I speak to individual health professionals, they actually embrace the change. I, I wanted to get your perspective of is, is the challenge sometimes we face, not the, the challenge of individuals being resistant to figure out how, how do we how do we effectively make this work um, for the system in terms of a reimbursement aspect? I know you have been very instrumental in your leadership role of talking about integrated care, omni-channel experience, and making sure that health professionals are not disadvantaged by these new modalities. What's your perspective about that? Because you've helped so many people make that health connection using technology throughout your career. It's a great question, Gil. And let me start by saying a lot of the regulations that impacted or impacted what we did with telehealth were put in place 14 years before the iPhone was introduced. So the pandemic really gave us an opportunity to prove that technology can deliver in a way that was not allowed to do. So what we're really excited about is that the bill that was passed at the end of the year and signed into law by President Biden really allowed a lot of flexibilities to stay in place for another two years. So it's 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 really it's profound because beneficiaries are going to be able to continue to receive telehealth services from any geographic location, including from the comfort of their home, that physical therapists and occupational therapists and speech therapists and audiologists, all of whom, I mean, if you've had physical therapy, you know you can do this virtually. You can do this with someone um, and not be in the same room with them, that they can continue to provide telehealth services. Audio-only services remain covered, which is absolutely crucial for populations that don't have access to broadband or don't have access to sufficient broadband. But the grace period here, it's it's important for us not to get complacent and to remember that there are a lot of things that we still have to do to make sure that telehealth 
becomes permanent and we still have to do a lot to make sure that certain types of telehealth encounters, for example, treatment involving controlled substances and um, prescriptions for folks who are taking controlled substances, that this is really incorporated and um, made available more broadly because the omnibus didn't, the bill didn't address that. So these are the kinds of things that we think are really important. I think the other thing to remember is that the, you know, telemental health really was fantastic. I mean, the fact that virtual is as good, if not better than face-to-face -face, was proven time and again with a lot of folks. And so we're very excited and very pleased that the in-person requirement was delayed, that, you know, this idea that you have to check in um, in person, that somehow there's nothing that is going to happen in person that is flawed. And uh, so we're excited about that. But um, still, there's a lot. There's a lot more that we have to be doing. So I think that what we're also seeing is a lot of experiences and a lot of market research and a lot of use cases that are pointing to the fact that it's not just consumers who like it, but it's also clinicians. And yeah, I wanted to speak to you about okay. that actually, if yeah, I please. can, because I, I I had the pleasure of moderating a panel recently with um, four global gurus in um, physicians, surgeons who are experts in virtual reality. And and I asked them a question that I, I want to sort of tweak and ask you. I asked them just from a standpoint of your, you know, your, your chairs of departments of surgery at major medical centers around the world, how much training did you get in technology, health technologies during medical school? And they looked at each other. It was virtual, the conversation. They looked at the screen as if they were in the same room. Right. And they said, uh, nothing, nothing. Everything we've known about virtual reality and surgery, we, we trained ourselves. And one person um, um, said, I wouldn't mind my saying, Raphael Grossman said, when he did his first surgery with Google Glasses, he almost got canned um, because it was so radical. I wanted to get your perspective because some doctors I find just have the knack of being expert at that sort of telemedicine visit. And some doctors don't, but no doctor is trained on on technology. And uh, uh, if if you could sort of speak to your your colleagues, I mean, you really are a, a global, a leading global health professional when it comes to health innovation, technology, and policy. If you could sort of share a message to medical school deans about telemedicine, telehealth, omni-channel experience for professionals and patients. Could you give them some counsel? Because you're so wise, you're so knowledgeable about the field. And I think that we seem to forget technology is not going to take the place of personality, of humanity. Humanity is going to drive the technology, not technology drive our humanity. But clinicians who don't know how to use the technology will feel disadvantaged. What, what's your counsel to all of us? So first of all, I think the AAMC, you know, the Association for Medical Colleges has already started down that path and has done quite a bit in terms of setting up, you know, stipulating what should be in curricula and how telehealth should be 
and, and using technology should be incorporated. There are a number of delivery systems as well who've done a fair amount on this, as well as, you know, solution providers who have droves of physicians and clinicians who interact with patients. Um, some folks refer to it as website manner. And really what we've found is that it, if, if it's hard, if the user experience is hard, yeah, it's going to fail. It's going to fail for everybody. So it's really the impetus on us as an industry is to make it as easy as possible, to make it as seamless and as, as flawless as possible from a user experience. So I think this user-centered design, which we talk about a lot in other industries, is not nearly as uh, thought about in healthcare, but it's getting to be more. I think when you think about young folks going into medicine now, what's so exciting is I suspect a lot of them are going to look at us and say, what? You did what? Why wouldn't you <laughs> right. let us do X? I mean, they're just going to be baffled by this. So, you know, the idea of remote monitoring, the ability to really make sure that you have your eyes using that in air quotes on literally dozens of patients at risk and that you have flags, ways of detecting when somebody is not doing well so you can proactively interact. The fact that you're using technology for ambient monitoring of people in their home because they wanna stay home, they don't wanna leave, they don't wanna age somewhere else. These are all technologies that I think we're just gonna take off. So to your point, Gil, I think the fun has just begun. It's only going to get better. So I wanted to ask you something. We we had the pleasure of being in the same room in Washington, D.C. at the National Press Club. Mm -hmm. You um, you were there uh, um, in a very pressing conversation among uh, our nation's health leaders. And um, you, you were uh, bold. You spoke up. We were discussing the challenges of rural health. 28% um, of our nation's population lives in rural areas. It's not monolithic. It's not what you think. As you know, it's not the you know the white 50-year-old on the back of uh, sitting on a John Deere tractor driving around their fields. I mean, we're dealing with a very diverse population in rural America, different language needs. Uh, some are, are, um, are in farming. Some are actually in just small towns. You know, trying to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. um, some of those people who I've spoken to live three hours away from a community health center, a tertiary care center. Um, some of them live more than an hour away from from a um, a nurse practitioner, physician's assistant, physician. Um, telehealth is it isn't just a a nice convenient thing. It's a it is the lifesaver in many cases, for a large swath of that population. Um, broadband is is limited. You talked about protecting voice-to-voice -voice connection of people. Um, and I wanted to pivot off of that because you've really redefined what telemedicine is um, in terms of this omni-channel experience. It, it can be remote patient monitoring. It can be using your cell phone. It, it can be sitting in front of a laptop. Um, for for people, you really are responsible for a broad array of technologies. Mind sharing with us what's under your big umbrella in terms of the of the technologies you're championing with telemedicine. Absolutely, and and it's really important to give credit to the ATA members. I mean, these are the pioneers. The ATA has been around for 
30 years in March, where we're going to be uh, celebrating our 30th anniversary. And it, it is a whole slew of clinicians and technicians and academicians who really created the industry. And so it's not just the video, which was, you know, I think how people thought of telemedicine before this idea of communicating face to face, but over, you know, a distance. It's really using interactive uh, messaging. It's using interactive assessments so that if I want to see a clinician or if I feel like I need to be assessed for whatever, a condition, that I answer questions um, going back and forth in an interactive fashion. And interestingly, because it's done um, online and done in this fat, not online, but you know, it's done virtually, more often than not, there is less slippage, less room for error or mistakes or forgetting what question to ask. So that to me is another element that's extremely powerful about telehealth. And then, you know, the whole area of AI, I think is really important for us because AI is what's under the hood of so much of what's coming or what already exists in our broad, broad community. And so we're excited. We also know that we have responsibilities and obligations in that regard to make sure that there is, you know, that there are certain um, standards that are maintained or that this whole issue of bias is addressed because we know it's quite damaging. And that's very closely tied to what we're doing in terms of using telehealth to ensure that we eliminate disparities because Again, going back to what happened at the onset of the pandemic, we knew we had problems before. And you look at the mortality rate of black women and black babies, I mean, it's, it's horrific. We, it, it's, it's really not just a problem, it's our obligation to fix this. And that's part of what I find highly motivating. Thank you, thank you for that. Look, um, I, I wish that this program were an hour long. We're, we're wrapping up now. I. I know you've got a big, big meeting of the ATA community in San Antonio in March with with a sentence or two. Care to share with us a, a theme or a big takeaway that people can expect um, by attending the meeting in March? Absolutely. So this is March 4th through 6th in San Antonio, Texas. And our theme is really how to. So it's intended to be extremely practical. There are consistent challenges and problems that we see amongst our members. And this conference is really intended to not only give people the opportunity to get together and compare notes and get smarter with each other, but also come back to their own institutions or organizations with really nuggets or learnings. If you get a couple of great ideas, which I'm sure you will out of it, then it was worth your time. Well, I think how to and Anmon Johnson are synonymous. Mm. You, you've defined this category's how to ability um, you know, and I, I would go as far as to say that you are a lifesaver. Your advocacy, your knowledge of policy, your ability to bring people together, to bring uh, companies together under that big umbrella of the American Telemedicine Association has helped so many people in this country and around the world. Thank you so much for joining us on Health Unabashed. Thank you. Pleasure. And that is a wrap for today's broadcast. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in and our special guests. Anmon Johnson, CEO of the American Telemedicine Association. 
Follow Ann's work at ATA on Twitter via Ann Mond Johnson and American Telemed, respectively, and on the web via www.americantelemed.org. You can learn more about Health Unabashed on the program page at healthcarenowradio.com. We air weekdays at 10.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m., and 2.30 a.m. Eastern, or 7.30 a.m., 3.30 p.m., and 11.30 p.m. Pacific. Do keep the conversation going with Gil and me on Twitter by connecting with us via at Gil underscore Bash, and that's B-A-S-H-E, and Greg Masters, M-P-H, and that's Greg with two Gs. And do remember to tag your tweets with the hashtag HealthUnabashed. Until next time, stay unapologetically passionate about improving health.